Chapter 21 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 21, Consequences of the Puritan's Warning. Coupling Hugh Calvary's present strange appearance and solemn warning with his previous denunciations uttered in secret, and his intimations of some dread design, with which he had sought to connect the young man himself, intimating that its execution would jeopardize his life. Putting these things together, we say, Jocelyn could not for an instant doubt that the king was in imminent danger, and he felt called upon to interfere, even though he should be compelled to act against his father's friend and the father of Avalon. No alternative, in fact, was allowed him. As a loyal subject, his duty imperiously required him to defend his sovereign, and perceiving that no one, in consequence of the king's injunctions, advanced towards the Puritan, Jocelyn hastily quitted the Conde de Gondomar, and rushing forward stationed himself between the monarch and his bold admonisher, and so near to the latter that he could easily prevent any attack being made by him upon James. Evidently disconcerted by the movement, Hugh Calvary signed to the young man to stand aside, but Jocelyn refused compliance, the rather that he suspected from the manner in which the other placed his hand in his breast that he had some weapon concealed about his person. Casting a look of bitterest reproach at him, which plainly as words said, Ungrateful boy, thou hast prevented my purpose, the Puritan folded his hands upon his breast with an air of deep disappointment. Fly, cried Jocelyn, in a tone calculated only to reach his ears. I will defend you with my life. Waste not another moment. Fly. But Hugh Calvary regarded him with cold disdain, and though he moved not his lips, he seemed to say, You have destroyed me, and I will not remove the guilt of my destruction from your head. The Puritan's language and manner had filled James with astonishment and fresh alarm but feeling secure in the propinquity of Jocelyn to the object of his uneasiness, and being closely environed by his retinue, the foremost of whom had drawn their swords and held themselves in readiness to defend him from the slightest hostile attempt, it was not unnatural that even so timorous a person as he should regain his confidence. Once more, therefore, he restrained by his gestures the angry impetuosity of the nobles around him, who were burning to chastise the rash intruder, and signified his intention of questioning him before any measures were adopted against him. "'Let him be,' he cried. "'He is some poor demented creature, fitter for bedlam than anywhere else, and we will see that he be sent thither, but molest him not till we have spoken with him, and certified his condition more fully. Quit not the position ye has say judiciously occupied, young sir, albeit against our orders,' he cried to Jocelyn. "'Dinna draw your blade unless the fellow seeks to come to us.' Not that we are under any apprehension, but there are bloodthirsty traitors even in our Pacific territories, and as this may be ain of them, it is weel not to neglect due precaution. And now, man, he added, raising his voice and addressing the Puritan, who still maintained a steadfast and unmoved demeanor, with his eye constantly fixed upon his interrogator. Ye say ye are a messenger for heaven, and it be say, Wilk we take leave to doubt, rather conceiving ye to be an envoy from the Prince of Darkness than an ambassador from above? An ill choice hath been made in ye. Unto what order of prophets do ye conceive yourself to belong? To this interrogation, propounded in a jeering tone, the Puritan deigned no reply. 
but an answer was given for him by Archie, the court jester, who had managed in the confusion to creep up to his royal master's side. "'He belongs to the order of Melchizedek,' said Archie, a reply that occasioned some laughter among the nobles, in which the king joined heartily. "'Tut, fool! Ye are as daft as ye poor body before us,' cried James. "'Ken ye not that Melchizedek was a priest and not a prophet, while to judge fray yon fellow's abulements, if he belongs to any church at all, it maun be to the church militant. And yet, Ablins, ye are naysay far out after all. Like a nuke, he may be infected with the heresy of the Melchizedeans, a pestilent sect, who plagued the early Christian church sairly, placing their master aboon our blessed Lord himself, and holding him to be identical with the Holy Ghost. Are ye a Melchizedean, sirrah? I am a believer in the gospel, the Puritan replied, and am willing to seal my faith in it with my blood. I am sent hither to warn thee, O king, and thou wilt do well not to despise my words. Repent ere it be too late. Wonderfully hath thy life been preserved. Dedicate the remainder of thy days to the service of the Most High. Persecute not his people, and revile them not. Purge thy city of its uncleanness and idolatry, and thy court of its corruption. Profane not the Sabbath. I see how it is, interrupted Archie with a scream. The man hath been driven stark wood by your majesty's book of sports. A book devised by the devil, cried Hugh Calvary, catching at the suggestion, and which ought to be publicly burnt by the hangman, instead of being read in the churches. How much mischief hath that book done? How many abominations hath it occasioned? And alas, how much persecution hath it caused? For have not many just men and sincere preachers of the word been prosecuted in thy court, misnamed of justice, and known, O king, as the star chamber, suffering stripes and imprisonment for refusing to read thy mischievous proclamation to their flocks? I knew it! I knew it! screamed Archie, delighted with the effect he had produced. Take heed, sirrah, he cried to the Puritan, that ye make not acquaintance with that court misnamed of justice your ain cell. He is liker to be arraigned at the court styled the king's bench, and hanged, drawn, and quartered afterwards, roared James, far more enraged at the disrespectful mention made of his manifesto than by anything that had previously occurred. The man is not say doited as we supposed him. He is not sane enough to keep his neck from the halter, rejoined Archie. Your majesty should spare him, since you are indirectly the cause of his malady. Intercede not for me, cried Hugh Calvary. I would not accept any grace at the tyrant's hands. Let him hew me in pieces, and my blood shall cry out for vengeance upon his head. By our Halidame, a dangerous traitor, exclaimed James. Hear me, O king, thundered the Puritan, for the third and last time I lift up my voice to warn thee. Visions have appeared to me in the night, and mysterious voices have whispered in mine ear. They have revealed to me strange and terrible things, but not more strange and terrible than true. They have told me how thy posterity shall suffer for the injustice thou doest to thy people. They have shown me a scaffold which a king shall mount, and a block whereon a royal head shall be laid. But it shall be better for that unfortunate monarch, though he be brought to judgment by his people, than for him who shall be brought to judgment by his God. Yet more, I have seen in my visions two kings in exile, one of whom shall be recalled, but the other shall die in a foreign land. As to thee, thou mayest live on yet a while in fancied security, but destruction shall suddenly overtake thee. Thou shalt be stung to death by the serpent thou nourishest in thy bosom. Whatever credit might be attached to them, 
the Puritans' prophetic forebodings produced, from the manner in which they were delivered, a strong impression upon all his auditors. Unquestionably, the man was in earnest, and spoke like one who believed that a mission had been entrusted to him. No interruption was offered to his speech, even by the king, though the latter turned pale as these terrible coming events were shadowed forth before him. "'His words are awesome,' he muttered, "'and gar the flesh creep on our banes. "'Will Nanius stap his tongue?' "'Better haste stapped it afore this,' said Archie. "'He has said o'er makel, or not a nuke. "'The dale's malison on thee, fellow, for a prophet of ill. "'Hast thou aught to allege why his majesty "'should not tuck thee up with a halter?' "'I have spoken,' responded the Puritan. "'Let the king do with me what he lists.' "'Seize him! Arrest him! Ye are nearest to him, sir!' shouted the king to Jocelyn. The command could not be disobeyed. As Jocelyn drew near, and laid his hand upon Hugh Calvary, the latter looked reproachfully at him, saying, "'Thou doest well, son of my old friend.' Jocelyn was unable to reply, for a crowd now pressed forward on all sides, completely surrounding the prisoner. Some of the nobles threatened him with their swords, and the warders who had come up from the gateway thrust at him with their partisans. Jocelyn had great difficulty in shielding him from the infuriated throng. "'Touch him not!' he cried, clearing a space around them with the point of his sword. "'His majesty has committed him to my custody, and I am responsible for him. Pardon me if I disarm you, sir,' he added in an undertone to the prisoner." "'Here is my sword,' replied Hugh Calvary, unbuckling his belt and delivering up the weapon it sustained to Jocelyn. "'It hath never been dishonoured, and,' he added, lowering his voice, "'it hath been twice drawn in thy father's defence.' The reproach cut Jocelyn to the heart. At this moment the crowd drew aside to allow the king's approach. "'Hath he been searched to see whether any deadly or offensive weapon is concealed about him?' demanded James." "'He cannot have any more offensive weapon than his tongue,' cried Archie, who accompanied his royal master. "'I counsel your majesty to deprive him of that.' "'There is something hidden in his breast,' cried one of the warders, searching in his jerkin, and at length drawing forth a short, clumsy pistol, or dag, as the weapon was then called. "'It is loaded, and please your majesty,' the man continued, after examining it. Exclamations of horror arose from those around, and Jocelyn had again some difficulty in protecting the prisoner from their fury. "'A dag!' ejaculated James. "'A loaded dag, crammed to the muzzle with bullets, nade out. "'Howd it down, man, howd it down. "'It may fire off itself, and accomplish the villain's murderous and sacrilegious design. "'And say this was to be the instrument of our destruction. "'Dost thou confess thy guilt, thou bloodthirsty traitor, "'or shall the torture force the truth from thee?' The torture will force nothing from me, replied Hugh Calvary. But I tell thee, tyrant, that I would have slain thee had not my hand been stayed. Heard ye ever the like of that? exclaimed James, his ruddy cheek blanched with fright, and his voice quavering. Why, he exceedeth in audacity the arch-traitor Fox himself. And what stayed thy hand, villain? he demanded. What stayed thy hand, thou bloodthirsty traitor? The presence of this youth, Jocelyn Munchensey, rejoined Hugh Calvary, had he not come between us when he did, and checked my purpose, I had delivered my country from oppression. I told thee, tyrant, thou hadst been marvelously preserved. Thy preserver stands before thee. Heaven defend us, exclaimed James, trembling. What an escape we hae had. There hath been a special interposition of providence in our behoof. 
our gratitude is due to him who watcheth o'er us and in some degree to him who hath been made the instrument of your majesty's preservation observed the conde de gondomar who formed one of the group near the king since the foul traitor hath proclaimed the name of my young protege there can be no need for further concealment master jocelyn monchancy hath been singularly fortunate in rendering your majesty a service and may for ever congratulate himself on his share accidental though it may be in this affair by my halidame he shall have reason for congratulation cried james graciously regarding the young man ay let him rise by my fall tis meet he should cried the puritan bitterly shower thy honours upon him tyrant give him wealth and titles i could not wish him worse misfortune than thy favour hold thy scurril tongue villain or it shall be torn out by the roots said james thou shalt see that i can as promptly reward those that serve me as thou shalt presently feel i can severely punish those that seek to injure me hark ye count he added to the spanish ambassador while those around drew back a little seeing it was his majesty's pleasure to confer with him in private this youth this jocelyn monchancy hath gentle blood in his veins he comes of a good stock ha huh? he is the representative of an old norfolk family de gondomar replied what the son of sir ferdinando demanded james a shade crossing his countenance which did not escape the wily ambassador's notice you have guessed right sire he said this is sir ferdinando's son and if i may be permitted to say so your majesty owes him some reparation for the wrongs done his father how count exclaimed james with a look of slight displeasure do you venture to question our judgments on hearsay for ye can know naething our ain knowledge i know enough to be satisfied that misrepresentations were made to your majesty respecting this young man's father de gondomar replied for i am well assured that if you ever erred at all it must have been through ignorance and want of due information this is what i designed to explain more fully than i can well do now when i availed myself of your majesty's gracious permission to bring the young man into your presence and i should then have taken leave to express how much he merited your majesty's favor and protection fortune however has outrun my wishes and given him a stronger claim upon you than any i could urge ye are right count rejoined james cautiously he hath the strongest claim upon us and he shall not find us ungrateful we will confer with steenie with buckingham we mean about him pardon me sire said de gondomar if i venture to suggest that your majesty hath an admirable opportunity which i should be sorry to see neglected of showing your goodness and clemency and silencing for ever the voice of calumny which will sometimes be raised against you what mean ye count cried james ye would nay have me pardon yon traitor most assuredly not sire de gondomar rejoined but i would urge some present mark of favor for him who hath saved you from the traitor's fell designs and i am emboldened to ask this because i feel assured it must be consonant to your majesty's own inclinations to grant the request it is say count rejoined james we only desired to consult with buckingham to ascertain whether he had any objections but as this is altogether unlikely we will follow our ain inclinations and do as your excellency suggests de gondomar could scarcely conceal his satisfaction at this moment lord roos pressed towards the king i have something to say in reference to this young man my liege he cried in his favour demanded the king 
"'Yes, yes, in his favour, sire,' said de Gondomar, looking hard at the young nobleman. "'You need not trouble his majesty further, my lord. He is graciously pleased to accede to our wishes.' "'Ay, ay, nay, mare, need be said,' cried James. "'Let the young man stand forward.' And as Jocelyn obeyed the injunction which was immediately communicated to him by de Gondomar, the king bade him kneel down, and taking Lord Roos's sword, touched him with it upon the shoulder, exclaiming, "'Arise, Sir Jocelyn!' "'You are safe now,' whispered de Gondomar. "'This is the first blow, and it has been well struck.' So confused was the new-made knight by the honour thus unexpectedly conferred upon him, that when he rose to his feet he could scarcely command himself sufficiently to make the needful obeisance and tender thanks to the king. For a moment his brow was flushed with pride, and his breast beat high, but the emotions were instantly checked as he thought how the title had been purchased. Looking towards the prisoner, he beheld him in the hands of the warders, to whose custody he had been committed, with his arms bound behind him by thongs. His gaze had never quitted the young man during the ceremony which had just taken place, and he still regarded him sternly and reproachfully. "'Let the prisoner be removed,' and kept in a place of safety till our pleasure respecting him be made known, cried James. And now, my lords and ladies, let us forward to the palace. And the cavalcade was once more put in motion, and passing through the great gateway entered the fountain court, where the nobility of both sexes dismounted, while their attendants and the falconers and varlets passed off to the offices. The prisoner was conveyed to the porter's lodge, and strictly guarded, till some secure chamber could be prepared for him. On the way thither, Jocelyn contrived to approach him, and say in a low tone, "'Can I do aught for Aveline?' "'Concern not yourself about her, Sir Jocelyn,' rejoined Hugh Cavalier, with stern contempt. "'She is in a place of safety. You will never behold her more.'" End of chapter 21